Hey everyone, this is Jake, lead pastor of Christ City Church, East Vancouver, and I want to let you know about a few things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 2605 East Pender Street in East Vancouver for worship, word, and sacrament. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church East Vancouver is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to be a part of or hear more of what we believe God has called us to do in East Vancouver, please reach out to me at jake at christcitychurch.ca. Our reading this morning comes from all over the book of Proverbs. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a a refuge. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. You may be seated. And as you're being seated, let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can call you that this morning. That in your grace and in your mercy, you have revealed yourself uh, to be towards us, your children, a loving and gracious, patient and kind, slow to anger, Heavenly Father. I pray that now by your Spirit, through your Word, you would grant us the grace to grow as parents of these earthly children that they may grow up in the fear of the Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. morning. It's good to be with you. My name is Jake. I'm part of the team. If you're new or visiting, we're continuing in our series in Proverbs. And this morning we're talking about wise parenting. Wise parenting. Now, if you type parenting books into Amazon.ca, as I did this past week, you will get over 100,000 results. Now, 20,000 of those are probably uh, sticker books, so we can disregard them. And, and the other, you know, 30,000 are, are, are probably just some form of spam. But let's say conservatively, there are 50,000 parenting books that you can choose from on Amazon.ca. That is to say nothing of other voices in your life your own parents, and how they think you should raise your children. Or that self-professed baby whisperer at church, right, who is keen to give unsolicited advice. Or the random stranger who is watching that standoff with your toddler in the grocery store and is keen to tell you what they would have done differently next time. Everybody has opinions about how we should raise kids. Everyone does. Over 50,000 of them, to be sure. Where do we turn for wise parenting? To whom do we look? 
for, for not just like tips and tricks, right? But like the deep stuff of parenting. Where do we go? Well, we're in luck this morning because the book of Proverbs, before it is anything else, hear this, is actually a parenting book. The book of Proverbs is a parenting book. It's a parenting book. It's a book written by the royal couple about how to raise little kings and queens. And by that I mean not entitled brats, but how to raise children of nobility and purpose in the fear of the Lord. Little kings and queens who bow their knee to the king of kings. This morning we're asking the question, what wisdom does God, of all the wisdom you know, offerings on the table. What wisdom does God have to offer on parenting? And before I tell you how we're going to look at that, one quick note. You might be tempted to check out right now because there are no children in your home. Don't. You might not have biological children here this morning or children in your house. But we're reminded each time we do a child dedication here at Christ City that if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been brought into a wider family. And the children of this church need not just my voice or their mother's voice. They need your voice as well. They need your example as well. So this church is for all of us. Three things I want us to see this morning, and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up. First thing is this. Today's lies in parenting. Today's lies in parenting. If you have your Bibles open, go to Proverbs 4 and put your finger there. We're just going to hold that for a bit. Before we look at the how of parenting, like what do we actually do? What's actually our charge in parenting? The book of Proverbs makes a number of assumptions about the nature of parenting, about the landscape of parenting that we're working with. Assumptions that we'll find fly right in the face of popular lies that we believe today in our culture about parenting. So we're going to look at three modern lies, three modern lies in parenting, and we're going to correct them from the book of Proverbs. Ready? Here's the first one. Parenting, lie number one, is someone else's job. Parenting is someone else's job. Now, the first lie, for those of us who are parents, is one that we would seldom say out loud, but functionally one we live into all the time. In a world where we outsource everything, right? Our company's customer service to our daily dinners, it's easy as parents and unsurprising to find that parents have outsourced the activity of parenting as well. You know, I had a friend say this past week, it's easy to become a parent, right? It's actually quite fun to become a parent. You can laugh at that. It's hard to parent. Parenting as a verb is much harder than parent as a noun. And so we outsource it. For basic education, we entrust our kids to teachers and schools. For Christian growth, we entrust our kids to uh, downstairs people, midweek programs, excellently run day camps like the ones we had a few weeks ago. And just this past week, Maisie and I paid a municipality a pile of money to teach our kids how to swim, right? Obviously, this outsourcing on one level is completely fine. It seems to me, in fact, to take wise humility as a parent to lean on the broader gifts of society, to lean on the broader gifts of the body. As my boys get older, I will be sure to send them out, to farm them out to their tool literate uncles. I cannot help them there. But just as Moses understood the home as the place where the law was to be taught and learnt and ingested, 
so too does Solomon intend to give his divine wisdom into the hands and minds of Israel's youth through the mouths of godly parents. Parents are the God-ordained mechanism or means of children getting wise. And so a proverb we've read a lot recently says this, Proverbs 1 verse 8, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. See, as a parent, you have, a free, you have the freedom on a number of, of, of issues, on a number of, of, of topics. Whether to send your kid to a private school or a, a public school or to homeschool them, you have complete Christian freedom on that. But what you don't have freedom on, what you don't have the option on, is using your home or your role as a dad or mom to instruct your child in what it means to live wisely in the fear of the Lord. That is non-negotiable. It's not an option. It's not something you can take or leave. And this might sound very obvious to most of you, if not all of you, but I want to begin this morning by calling us again to commit ourselves as parents, either spiritual parents or biological parents, to raising our kids in the fear of the Lord and to being intentional about it. It is easy, so easy, in the slog and routine of daily life to just sort of go with emotions, to sort of parent as you can. I get that. We do things, though, not by default, but by design. And maybe one of the reasons we're doing things by default is because we bought into the second parenting lie. Ready? Here's another popular one. Lie number two. Parenting is a barrier to what I really want or to what I really deserve or what I really need. Again, not something you would say out loud. But in a world of hyper-individualism, you've been told you can have it all, right? You can have career and kids. You can have carefree living and kids, right? You can have sleep and kids. You can have it all. It's tough in this world not to begin viewing children as an obstacle to overcome. And despite how many times we as younger parents are told to cherish the younger years, it's tough not to wish you could fast forward through these years, at least until they're in school or, or, or out of the house or somewhere else. And if you're tempted to believe this lie like I am, I want to remind you of two things that we find in the book of Proverbs. Two Proverbs, in fact, that help me out a lot. And the first one is this. Ready? There is no way around it, and we should make peace with it now. Parenting will be messy. Parenting will be messy. Your children will, in God's mercy and kindness, take an axe to all the idols you've established in your life. They will do that. For me, parenting means an axe is hitting the stump of my idols of cleanliness and control. Of cleanliness and control. One of my favorite Proverbs, Proverbs 14, 4, says this. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. And you're wondering, what does that mean? Let me tell you. If you want to reap a joyful harvest of righteousness in your home, it's going to get messy. Like ox poop, messy. Manger full, messy. 
Big time messy. If you've been to my house, you know, big time messy. You can have in this life one or the other. A picture-perfect home with picture-perfect organization to go with picture-perfect children or our home filled with the joyful mess of discipleship. You can choose. You can't have both. I need to be reminded of this. Here's another reminder. Proverbs 17, verse 1. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Listen to that. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. All the riches and luxuries in the world and and all the hours at work it takes to obtain them are not worth sacrificing your family for. Let me say that again. All the riches and luxuries in the world and all the hours at work it requires to obtain those riches and those luxuries are not worth sacrificing your family for. Provide for your family. That's biblical. Don't be a sluggard. Work hard. That's biblical. But do not sacrifice your family on the altar of work or personal achievement. And for some of us, that might mean being passed over for that promotion because we refuse to give our entire lives to our work. Because know this, if you're a parent, parenting your kids is the Lord's will for you. It's the Lord's will for you. It's not somewhere else. It's not someplace more fun on Instagram. It's not someplace more glamorous. It's not someplace more celebrated. It's in the mess. It's in the ox poop. Finally, last lie we need to dismantle before we go any further. This is an important one. Lie number three. Ready? My kid needs a friend, not a parent. Some of you are laughing already. It's a lie. And this is the big one. Here's why. Generally speaking, let me speak in generalizations for a moment. Generally speaking, the generations before mine weren't great at showing affection to their kids. Generally speaking. Not true of maybe your household, but generally speaking. So my generation, well, we've swung, in, we've swung the pendulum, haven't we? Whereas previously there was childhood and adulthood. We've created this third category called adolescence, which now apparently, according to uh, latest insights, can stretch until your mid-20s. So we have this extended childhood. There's childhood and extended childhood, and now maybe when you're 30, you'll reach adulthood. Now, the rise of adolescence is a complicated phenomenon. It is. But at its heart lies a belief that the child is born into this world, not foolish, not sinful, but pure and true. Pure and true. In this paradigm, the job of the gentle parent is to nurture and coax out the inner beauty, the inner glory of their child. They don't discipline, they have discussions. They don't teach their kids restraint, they bring them to a specially designed room where they can let it out and have a cathartic experience. And it's killing us. It is killing us in the church. It is killing us as a society. It is killing us as a culture. And Proverbs could not speak any more forcefully against this view of the child. There is a parenting proverb we should all memorize because it's foundational to understanding parenting. Ready? Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. Listen to this. 
Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. So kids are born into this world, yes, with tremendous capacities, yes, with tremendous capacities, but also by nature foolish. And if you're a parent, this is not news to you. This is not news to you. This word folly means the willful refusal to make moral choices. Kids are born into this world with a willful refusal to make moral choices. And as one pastor writes, this folly is your child's natural heart that does not want to grow up and enter adulthood with its moral demands. This is the landscape of parenting according to Proverbs. And unless we acknowledge this and agree with this, then what I'm about to say makes no sense. It should not be listened to. See, on one hand, parents, the responsibility is yours. Raise your kids in the fear of the Lord. Church, the responsibility is ours. Raise our kids in the fear of the Lord. And on the other hand, why? Because folly is bound up in their hearts. Because they are not born into this world pure and true, knowing all, seeing all. So how do we do this? How do we do this? What would wisdom as parents call us to do? In a word, and this is under point two, the way of parenting. In a word, Solomon, Proverbs, would have us instruct. Instruct. Now, instruction can happen in a number of ways, but the two primary contexts generally for instruction are first, before foolishness, and second, after foolishness. So before foolishness and after foolishness. Before foolishness, it's simply called instruction. And after foolishness, it's what Proverbs calls discipline. See, in our Hebrew Bible, this word translated both instruction and discipline is actually one word. It's this Hebrew word musar. Musar. And depending on the context, it's either translated instruction before discipline or before foolishness, or discipline after foolishness. If folly is bound up in the heart of a child, there is only one way to get it out, instruction. What matters to us is whether we're giving this to our kids before they do something foolish or after. So first thing, before foolishness. The, the most straightforward and obvious understanding of instruction from parents to children in the book of Proverbs is through teaching them speaking to them with our mouths, using our words, the divine wisdom that we have inherited. So go back to Proverbs 4 now. Proverbs 4, 1 to 4. Look in your Bibles with me. Hear, O son, a father's instruction. Be attentive, listen, that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Again, do not forsake my teaching. And when I was a son with my father, tender, the only one inside of my mother, he taught me and said to me, spoke to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Do you see that? Teaching our kids biblical wisdom begins early. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother. The, the idea here is that the kid is like three years old. That's when instruction would begin in this context, at the age of three. Begins early. Happens regularly. I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. In verse 4, he taught me and said to me again and again and again. And his teaching assumes obedience. We're not just giving you things to hear 
and then write down on a piece of paper like a test. No, we want you to live this wisdom. This is for your life. It's for your flourishing. Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. Do you hear the stakes, Christ said he? Keep my commandments and live. This is happening both in formal ways and informal ways. Formal times of instruction and in informal times of instruction. I'll be really honest with you. My wife is way better at the formal times of instruction. She's so good at it. I'm so bad at it. And I am a lot better at the informal times as we go, as we walk, as we see something crazy and ask, what does the Bible have to say about that? Deuteronomy 6, verse 7. Moses speaks to Israel about how they should instruct children in the law. He says this. Here's the picture he paints. He says, you shall teach them diligently to your children, this law. Talk of these laws when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you, when you rise. And in all of your life, you're instructing, you're, you're, you're teaching, you're, you're, you're speaking. Now, now, this makes a grand assumption, doesn't it? It makes a grand assumption. It makes the assumption that we've got something to give to our kids. See, here's the most important thing about the way of parenting. And if you miss this, don't miss this. Here's the most important thing. Instructing our kids in wisdom lives and dies with our own apprenticeship to the wisest person who ever lived, who is Jesus. You cannot give what you do not have. You cannot pour out what you are not receiving from the living God in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Parents, you do not need a PhD in theology. You do not need to go to Bible college. You simply must open your Bibles and read it. You simply must be deeply involved in the church and give your life to her. You simply must spend time with your Lord in prayer. Go deep in your walk with Jesus in order, not just for your soul, but the sake of the soul of your child. Your kids' instruction and therefore their lives, it depends on it. Proverbs 14.26, look at this. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. So, so if you're a helicopter parent, and I've been known to fire up the helicopter from time to time. But if you're a helicopter parent, the, the safest thing you can do for your kids is not hover around them at the playground like this, right? The safest thing you can do for your kids is to love Jesus, is to know Jesus, is to make your home a place where the word of God is spoken often and quickly. It's the safest thing you can do. His children will have a refuge. We instruct by teaching, by saying. But we also instruct before foolishness by, by showing, by, by modeling. Let, let me take us to perhaps the most famous proverb on parenting. You might know it, Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. This word train up means literally dedicate. Dedicate your child. And it's not talking about what we do up here on a Sunday morning sometimes. So I've been saying, dedicate your child. Well, how do we do this? Again, let me quote that same pastor, Ray Ortland. He says this, You dedicate your child to Christ 
by dedicating yourself to Christ so enthusiastically that your child tastes how good it is and wants more. So just pause for a moment. And if you grew up in or around the church, in or around Christianity, think about the kind of Christianity that grabbed your attention as a kid. I'm going to guess it wasn't the lukewarm kind. I'm going to guess it wasn't the hypocritical kind. I'm going to guess that the kind of Christianity that made you pay attention was the radical kind, the unignorable kind. Live a radical walk with Jesus that your kids are going to be attracted to. Not one that is hedging its bets at every turn. Be sold out for Jesus. It's the best thing, the safest thing you can do for your kids. So that when our kids hear from their classmates or their teachers that Christianity is a moralistic, hate-filled religion that produces joyless people, they can look at their mom and dad and their spiritual aunt and uncle and grandma and grandpa and say, I don't think so. You don't know them. You don't know my home. Instruction before foolishness looks like both saying God's word and showing God's word at work in your life. How about after foolishness? After foolishness, it requires the parent to administer discipline. How is foolishness driven far away from the hearts of our kids? It's through loving and patient and gracious discipline. Now, discipline is a hot topic in the world today. If on one hand you have parents who refuse to discipline their children, you have, and we see this on the news all the time, on the other end of the spectrum, parents whose discipline amounts to child abuse. We're very aware of both of these parents on either side of the spectrum. So how do we discipline? How do we do this? What does Proverbs have to say about discipline? The first is this. True discipline. True discipline is the fruit not of disappointment, not of bitterness, but of love. True discipline is the fruit of love. Discipline's presence proves the parent's love for the child just as its absence proves the parent's hatred of their child. Proverbs 3, 11 to 12 says this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom what? He is annoyed by? He is frustrated by? No. The Lord reproves him. He disciplines him whom he loves. As a father, the son in whom he delights. In Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son. Hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. See this. It'll be up on the screen. Here's how Proverbs understands discipline. Because a parent wants to spare their child the future disaster that comes with foolishness, they wisely bring present consequences to bear on their children. Now, to spare them future disaster, they bring present today, in the moment, discipline. Notice. Proverbs does not spell out exactly what this discipline looks like. I am happy to have an offline conversation with you about wise and loving and contextual discipline. But hear this. If you love your kids, you must 
from love, discipline them. You must. You have to. But also hear this, just as it must come from love, it must never be done. Hear this. It must never be done in anger. Never in anger. Go with me to the Proverbs of the New Testament, the book of James. In the book of James, we saw this passage actually a few weeks ago. In the book of James, we find James talking like this. James 1, 19-20 says this. Read this with me. Or just look at it on the screen. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And then James opens up the curtains and lets us peek behind the way righteousness works how righteousness is accomplished in our lives and in this world. He says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So here's what we want. We want the righteousness of God in our kids, right? We want them to be righteous people, as Proverbs talks about righteousness. But guess what doesn't do that? Guess what doesn't get them there? Disciplining them in anger. It cannot do it. And so here's the vicious cycle. We discipline in anger, and our kids don't grow in righteousness because anger can't accomplish God's righteousness. So we get angry further because they're not changing, so we discipline in anger again. And all the while, the parent is growing angrier and angrier, and the child is growing more and more hard-hearted. And he or she is learning not to love discipline as a sign that his or her parent truly cares for them, but to hate it, to despise it. Eventually growing up to hate the God who disciplines as well, thinking he must do it from the same anger as his parents. But God, but God, I hope you see this, does not discipline us like our parents. He is so much better. And I wonder if so many of us who experience God's loving discipline today go immediately to places like, God doesn't see me, or God doesn't love me, or God isn't there at all, because we experience discipline as the absence of love as a child and not as the sure sign of its presence. If you're in Christ, if you've trusted in Jesus, if you love Jesus, God disciplines us. Our Father disciplines us from a loving place of instruction. And his anger is not poured out on you. It's been entirely poured out on his son Jesus, who dies in our place on the cross. He doesn't discipline you from anger. He disciplines, as we ought to now as parents, to restore and to renew, and to bring healing where there is waywardness and brokenness and fracturedness, to instruct. Because he's your dad, and he loves you. And you need to hear that this morning. He's your dad, and he loves you. And let me speak as an earthly father for a moment. He's so much better than us. He's so much better than me. And I am so glad amidst all my failings as a dad, and there are many, that he is not like me. Aren't you glad, parents? 
Aren't you glad, Christian? And so here, maybe for the first time, how beautiful the words of Hebrews 12, 5 to 8 are. Listen. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, as children? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you what? As sons, as daughters. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which we all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and sons. If God were not to discipline you, you would be an illegitimate child or son. But as it is, you are his kid. And so he disciplines you. The way of parenting involves instruction before foolishness and after foolishness. And what happens if we do this? If What happens if we, just think about this for a moment, just maybe get a picture for this in a moment. Get, get a vision for this, parents. Get a vision for this church. What happens if we, as parents, as spiritual aunts and uncles, grandparents and uh, grandmas and grandpas, what happens if we get, get a vision for this? Like, what happens if we give our lives to this? What happens if we say, we're not going to be half-hearted in this anymore. We're going to be whole-hearted in this. What, what, what's the result? This is point three. This is the hope of parenting. And as we end, I want us to have this picture in our mind of a pebble hitting the surface of a water and ripples proceeding from it. And I want us to see that when parenting is done like this, when we walk in the way of Proverbs, there is a ripple effect proceeding from the child all the way out to the wider society, the wider culture. First, what happens when we do this? Well, we protect our kids. We protect our kids. Proverbs 19.18 says this, Discipline your son, for there is hope. And do not set your heart on putting him to death. Here's what this proverb is saying. It's, it's, it's wild. When we give up on disciplining our kids, we are in reality and in practice sentencing them to a life of misery and heartache and foolishness and ultimately death. Do not set your heart on putting him or her to death. Discipline them. But when we persist, this proverb also says there is hope. Hope that our children will flourish in the Lord. Hope that our children will flourish in this world. And which, by the way, if you're realizing right now along with me that you've got a lot of work to do as a parent this morning, there's hope for you. There is hope for you. It is easier, yes, if you instruct early and often, but we serve a God who loves to enter our parenting mess and our parenting mistakes and redeem them and change them and renew them. And this is how it begins. Ready? If, if, if you've messed up and you want to change, here's how it begins. Ready? It begins, parents, this morning by asking your kids for forgiveness, by saying you're sorry, by saying you're sorry for not instructing them, by saying you're sorry for not disciplining them or disciplining them in anger and repenting. A Christian parent, by definition, is not a perfect parent. A Christian parent is a repentant parent. I can still remember my friend said this to me. I'll never forget it. He said the most impactful thing my dad ever did to me growing up was say he's sorry. Parents, make a habit. 
make a practice of saying often to your kids, I'm sorry. Dad's a big sinner. He needs Jesus' grace too. Mom's a big sinner. She needs Jesus' grace too. When we instruct, we give hope. We protect our kids. But the ripples go further. It is joy for the wider family. It is joy for the parents. Proverbs 17.6. I love this picture. It's a happy one. Grandchildren, some of you grandparents know this, grandchildren are the crown of the aged and the glory of children is their father's. It's literally like a glory circle here, right? It's this glorious picture. It's grandparents looking down at their glorious and treasured grandkids and just delighting in them. And kids looking up at their parents and revering them and respecting them, you know, to the glory of their parents. It's this beautiful picture, right? But if you're like me, if you have a family line like mine, this, this glorious picture is really like glorious and nice in the Bible, but, but not what you've experienced. This past week, I did some of that Ancestry.com stuff. You ever done that before? Where you like, you like dig into like your family history and you, you find out like who your relatives were and all like the sordid stuff that's happened in your past. It turns out I come from a, a real sordid past of, of, of people. It's not pretty. It's not like a bunch of God-fearing men and women just like, you know, passing on the gospel to their kids. That, that, that's not my story. That's not my family. But by God's grace, my parents, they said enough. They said, I'm, I'm going to raise my son and, and, and my daughter, and I'm going to raise these kids to love and fear the Lord. And guess what? That whole family line of sordid stuff stops. And it's not easy. I'm not pretending like it's easy, right? But we have the opportunity here, if you don't come from this glorious inheritance, this glorious spiritual heritage, you have the opportunity in your generation to stop the things that happened in the generations before you. The, the anger or the abuse that has since characterized your family can stop with you. The patterns of dealing, the passive aggressiveness, the aggressiveness can stop with you and your family in this generation. This is the glorious hope, the glorious picture that Proverbs gives to us, offers to us. But here's the final ripple. So kids are changed. That's good. Families and, and, and generations are changed. That's good. But when parents instruct their children, when we give our whole lives to this, entire societies change. Whole cultures change. We send out into the world, downstairs right now, young men and young women of purpose. Men and women who become prime ministers and lawmakers. Men and women who become community advocates and trustworthy accountants. Men and women who become evangelists and gospel proclaimers and missionaries who raise their kids in the fear of the Lord. Men and women who, whether biologically or spiritually, become fathers and mothers to the next generation. And so the, the hope is the wisdom of God is multiplied from generation to generation. How does this happen? Don't miss it. Instruction by seemingly insignificant for the thousandth time, instruction. Discipline by gracious, loving, patient discipline. As we do these things, as we give our lives to this glorious task, whole cultures, whole, whole neighborhoods can be transformed. Where does it begin? With mom and dad, whether biological or spiritual. 
May we take up this mantle, Christ City. May we be faithful to be good parents. Let's pray. So Father, I begin where we should always begin in prayer, just asking for your forgiveness. Just having seen the truth of your word, I for one am struck by my inability and my failings to uphold it in my own home. And so I ask your forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you'd make us a repenting group. Lord, would you care for our kids? Would you protect them and guard them? Would our homes be places of love, places of discipline, places of patience and kindness, places where Jesus is proclaimed and Jesus is seen in the way mom and dad act? I pray for those of us who don't have kids this morning. Would you bless them? Lord, would they be a blessing to our kids as well? Would they, in all the ways that we're deficient as parents, make up for our deficiencies? Would they make it their mission? Would they give their lives, not to just invest in themselves, but invest in the upcoming generation? Lord, we need you. We need you so much. So we ask that you'd come and help us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.